Our scripture reading today will be Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 28, as we continue a series of messages on gospel reset. And of course, one of the foundational truths regarding the gospel is the biblical teaching on justification by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And so today we will be looking at that, but I'm going to take a little bit of a different tack on this. I'm going to assume that you know as much about justification as I do how an air conditioner works. One time my air conditioner for the home broke down, and I called a man, many of you remember, Will Nelson, to come to my house and work on my air conditioning. And I want you to know I stood with him out in the heat by that air conditioner for two and a half hours. Did it take that long to fix it? No, it took that long for Will to tell me what was wrong with it. (laughs) Information overload. It's the same thing with computers. When I first got a computer, I tried to get someone to help me with that. Finally, I looked at that person and said, consider I'm a third grader, maybe a first grader and start over and tell me how this thing works. So my goal today in preaching is to try to make this as accessible uh, to the street level understanding of this truth because I I think it's so important and it's tragic to miss it because it's the greatest thing that could ever happen to you and to me. So hear now the word of the Lord as we begin reading in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift or freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. This is God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you so much for the truth that you have deposited in your word. And we thank you that we have access to it. We thank you that we can hear it taught and preached and explained to us. We're also thankful that we're not left alone in that endeavor, that the Holy Spirit, who indwells each of us who believes, gives us understanding, gives us uh, light so that we can see in the darkness uh, the radiance of the face and the glory of God in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. I was going to say Happy Reformation Sunday. You thought I was going to say Halloween. But Happy Reformation Sunday, of course, this is the Sunday we mark that. 
And what Luther did was not discover the gospel, he rediscovered the gospel that had been lost uh, throughout the ages. And it led to uh, his primary doctrine, uh, justification by faith. There are three things I want to draw your attention to regarding the teaching of this passage. And those three things are given to you in the outline. Number one, we have a problem. And the problem is we need righteousness. We need justification. The solution what it is, we're going to look at that, how God dealt with this without compromising who he is and his essence and being, and at the same time bringing the most glory he could to himself and his son. And the third, the resolution, how we get it, how we receive it, how we know we get it. And so those are the three things that we will be thinking about today. Now, what Romans chapter 3 does for us is it brings us to a new point in Paul's argument regarding the book of Romans. All human beings, Romans tells us, of every race and rank, of every creed and culture, Jews and Gentiles, immoral and moral, the religious and the irreligious are without exception sinful, guilty, inexcusable, and speechless before God. We have no defense to offer. That was the terrible human uh, predicament that has been covered in Romans 1, verses 18 through chapter 3, verse 20. There was, at that point, no ray of light, not even a flicker of hope, no prospects of any kind of rescue. But now, Paul suddenly breaks in and says, God himself has intervened. And after a long, dark night, the sun has finally risen. Now a righteousness from God is available to us apart from the law that has been made known. And it is a fresh revelation focusing on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so he begins by portraying the revelation of God's righteousness in Christ's cross and lays the foundation of the gospel of justification. First, point number one. I want to show you how totally radical and absolutely radical this righteousness is that God has manifested, he has revealed, he has shown, and he has given to us freely without a cause, without a reason in us, strictly out of his mercy and grace. When I use the word righteousness, what do you think of? When we think about righteousness, it's not a word that we uh, usually have favorable association with. Since we've been talking a lot about Martin Luther and his tower experience, he said this. He said, I hated the righteousness of God. For through the tradition and practice of all the doctors, I've been taught to understand it philosophically as the so-called formal, or to use another word, active righteousness through which God is just and punishes sinners and the unjust. But Luther says, I could not love the righteous God, the God who punishes. I hated him. I pondered incessantly day and night until I gave heed to the context of his words, namely, for in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Listen carefully. 
Then I began to understand the righteousness of God as a righteousness by which a just man gives as a gift of God. That means by faith. I realized it was to be understood this way. The righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, namely the so-called passive righteousness we receive through which God justifies us by faith through grace and his mercy. And then Luther says, I felt as if the heavens were open and I was born again. So what is righteousness? We usually think of it negatively in terms of a concept, but Paul's usage here, you know, it's hard for us to compute righteousness. It's hard for us to connect with that idea. But today it's so very important that you get this. Let's say that Paul's way of using righteousness is the following, and listen carefully. Righteousness is a validating performance record which opens up doors for us. Let me read that again. Righteousness is a validating performance record which opens up doors. For example, let's say that tomorrow you start looking for a new job. And you get out your resume and you blow the dust off of it and you polish it and you call people who you know are smart about that thing like Susan Donovan and you go through all the the, the practice of coming together with a resume which is a vocational record of your life. Uh, that one that should have all your accomplishment, some of your experiences, your educational references. You put all that together, you either email it to a potential employer or uh, you deliver it in person at an interview and you apply for a job uh, from this resume. And that resume is your validating performance record. In essence, it says... I am worthy of this job for the following reasons. I'm a good fit for this job because of my qualifications. And so I am worthy of the position, accept me please. That is a validating performance record. You got that? Now let's say that you're not applying for a job. Let's say that you are trying to get into graduate school. And so, you want an advanced degree, and so you send the transcripts, uh, maybe as far back as they accept transcripts or ask, that is a record of your academic performance, your academic record, and you turn those in, and these now function as your validating performance record, and they say, accept me because I made the grades, I'm good enough, I'm worthy of it, let me in. That's pretty much how life works, except sometimes there's some political involvement on the side. I won't talk about that, but that's how life is supposed to work. You put together your validation or your validating performance record. You send it to the appropriate people. They look at it. They agree or don't agree with whether or not you fit, and they award you the job based on your performance record. Okay. Now, It's the way the world works. It's the reason why in every religion and every culture across the globe, they believe it is the same way with God. If there is a God, um, it's uh, it's, it's going to have a spiritual connection with God if you're going to have one with him. It's the same. 
Not a vocational record or an academic record, but rather a moral record. This is how you go to heaven. This is how you find enlightenment. Here's how you connect to the divine, to deity. Your performance record. You develop a righteousness, a performance record, a validating performance record. And you offer it. And if it's good enough and it passes the test, you're worthy and accepted. Uh, but Paul comes along and says, wait a minute. Now something has happened for the first time in history as well as the last time in history, an absolutely unheard of spirituality, an absolutely unheard of approach to God has been revealed. And what is that, you may ask? He says it's not just a good record, but a divine righteousness, a perfect record. And it is available to anyone as a gift. It comes to us, and when we have it, it is the end of struggle for validation, for worth and acceptability, and that is the uniqueness of the Christian gospel. C.S. Lewis once arrived late to a meeting with his friends, the little group he belonged to, and they had been discussing religion. And they had been discussing all of the religions of the world. And so the question came up, uh, what about Christianity? And C.S. Lewis says Christianity is unique for one and one reason only. It is a religion of grace. Validation through performance record is law, is works. It's attempting to reach and connect with God and develop a spirituality based on the best we can do. And Paul says, no, something has happened. Without any cause in you, without even looking at you or your performance record, something astounding has happened. The Son of God has come and achieved for you, accomplished for you, performed for you a validating record that he will give you without cost, freely, totally, by his grace. And so that's really, in essence, what we mean by righteousness. Righteousness is a resume. Let's call it a spiritual resume. It is my life and the way I've lived and the best I can do to try to reach and connect with God. But now God has done something because we desperately need righteousness. We def definitely need righteousness. This is why the gospel is such good news. And it's offered in no other place, no other religion, no other place in the world. A righteousness is given to us freely. Most religions, if not all, say we develop a righteousness, a record of obedience or sacrifice. We offer it to God or our gods. But the gospel is that God develops a perfect righteous resume and he offers it to us. And by it alone, we are forever accepted and stand in the grace of God. That's never been heard of before. It sets Christianity apart. And, is, and it is the total reverse of what every other religion, philosophy of life, ever offers. Now, you might be here this morning and you're going, Pastor, I'm just not really a religious person, so you're not tracking with me. I'm not really a religious person, you know, I'm one of these people who I'm not sure if there's a God and I don't really attend church that much and I'm just here today because I happen to come by, but 
you know, I'm, I'm not really much of a church person. You know, this is nice for you religious people. It, it's good for the weak people like you to get a crutch. Uh, but it really has nothing to say to me as a secular person. And I would say to you with all due respect, I beg to differ. It has everything to do with you. Because every single person who has a pulse is seeking righteousness. Every single person that has a pulse is seeking righteousness. How can I say that? Because you're made in the image of God. The Bible tells us that we bear upon our being the stamp of the image of God. We image him by the way we live, we're supposed to, but we have and are part of our being, part of our essence as creatures is that we have the image of God and that image of God in us causes us to be driven to seek some kind of justification for why we exist. Some kind of justification for why we're here. You know, one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the things that I feel most sad about in uh, sports is the following. You watch the Olympics and you look at these people who have been training relentlessly for four years and all of a sudden, all of that four years, all of that dieting, all of that exercise, all of that preparation, all of the early morning running, all of the uh, uh, spending of time on technique, and in 10 seconds it's over. And your whole life is either validated or invalidated. That's what it means when I talk about secular seeking for righteousness. Uh, properly understood, everybody is seeking righteousness. By the word, by the way, the Greek word for righteousness and justification are the very same word. Dikaiosune in the Greek, which means righteousness and justification. Everybody is seeking some kind of justification. Righteousness and justification. Everybody's trying to find a way to be justified. Everybody wants to justify their existence. Everybody wants to know that my life is worth something. That I have a reason for being. That I matter. That I count. That I'm a worthy, acceptable human being. And the way I do that and the way you do that are the same. They're basically a commitment. Uh, I want to feel validated. I want the stamp of approval on me. Everybody is struggling for righteousness, validation, worth, and acceptability. And this is no psychological pep talk. It is psychological, but it's psychological manifesting underneath an underlying condition. And that is the drive in the human soul for self-justification. Uh, a philosopher from Trinity College in Illinois by the name of Clifford Williams said the following. I just want you to listen to this. Just let it wash over you. One of the things that undermines our experience of grace most is self-justification. Justification means being acceptable to God. That is achieving for myself a validating performance record and resume. And self-justification means that I do something to make myself acceptable to God or what are gods to me, little g. Self-justification is antithetical to the experience of grace, for grace means that God makes us acceptable to himself. We engage in self-justification in numerous ways. Listen carefully. 
Our jobs are a strong source of self-justification, especially for those of us who are professionals, because we are acutely conscious that our jobs are held in high esteem. The houses in which we live are a source of self-justification. So are the clothes we wear. We also use our accomplishments as a means of making ourselves acceptable. We use sex and sex appeal and our looks, which we believe others admire. Knowing certain important people can be used in a self-justifying way, as, we can, uh, as can the fact that we're well-liked or the mere fact that we have friends. We are conscious of our position in society, that we're not at the bottom poor, dirty, with second-class possessions, and this makes us feel cosmic acceptability. We engage in self-justification in religious ways as well by wanting to appear as good people who do the right things. Our drive, Clifford says, Clifford Williams, to engage in self-justification may be the strongest drive we possess. Everybody wants righteousness. You've never heard a sermon like this, probably. Everybody wants righteousness. It's just woven into my being. I want it. Now, I don't call it what you religious people call it, but it's just as real pulsing through my veins. I want righteousness. So what's the solution for the problem? The problem is we need justification. We need righteousness. And so far in this life, everything we've tried to get it has failed. How do we get it? What is the solution first, and then how do we get it? The solution is as following. The good news of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, ends the struggle for righteousness and validation. It is free. If you believe what I am preaching today from the crown of your head to the soles of your feet, you do not need validation from other sources. You are truly free to live without having to drive yourself into being liked or perceived as good or being competent or being outstanding. You could just be a person who is totally accepted. It's free. It's far more than forgiveness and pardon. It is distinctly different than moral goodness. Christ dies on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven, but I get infinitely more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is great. It's freedom from liability to punishment. Justification is a positive. It is the bestowal of a status with all the rights and privileges and benefits pertaining thereunto. To be forgiven, your penalty is paid. You're free to go. To be justified, you may come welcomed into all my love and presence. Forgiveness, you're not going to get punishment. Justification, God says to you, welcome home. Welcome home, my beloved. I see you the same way that I see my son. You are united to him by faith. And your acceptability, your validity, your record is tied to his. And so when I see him in you and I see you in him, I welcome you home like the prodigal father who runs to his son and smothers him with kisses. 
Justification is the welcome of a home. We get righteousness, but it isn't our righteousness. We get the perfect, positive, uh, personal, perpetual, obedient record of his son. It becomes mine as much as if I had done it on my own. I have to tell you, for a long time in my Christian life, I understood I was forgiven. I understood that Jesus went to the cross, he shed his blood, so my sins could be washed away, but I had no idea that I needed righteousness. I thought my job was, now that I'm forgiven, I am to be so grateful that I will do all I can to impress and please the Lord and win his approval by the way I live my Christian life. And so I was miserable for so long. Because I didn't see the righteousness issue. I didn't see it meant having the smile and approval of God upon my soul. And so I spent countless hours pursuing with that drive. I always had a drive, a drive to achieve. Um, it, it could be interpreted in different ways. But I, there was a strong drive in me to, to, to be successful, to be somebody, to count, to matter, to make a difference in the world, however you want to say it. But it was all self. And not until it broke through, much like Luther, it broke through to my consciousness that my righteousness is not what I produce. It's an alien righteousness outside of me that comes upon me when I trust in Christ. And so now I'm validated. What do you want to do now that you don't have to do anything? You ought to want to pursue the Lord with all your heart. True understanding of justification does not make us lax. It intensifies our pursuit of this love. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, his son, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul talks about Christ being for us a propitiation. And a propitiation is basically... A, the pacifying or turning away of someone's wrath. It means that God's justice or God's wrath, they're pretty much the same, had to be turned away by the payment of a penalty for sin. Jesus' sacrificial death pacified the wrath of God on my behalf. So I put it this way. Jesus was treated as if he had done everything I have done or we had done, so that when we believe we are treated as if we had done everything he has done. Let me repeat that again. This is the sweet exchange. Jesus was treated as if he had done everything we have done, so that when we believe we are treated as if we've done everything he's done. And that's the marvel of the gospel. That's the astoundingness of it. That's the amazingness of it. And we lose it. Why? Because we're mired in self-justification. We can't see it. We don't see it yet. It ha we know the words. We don't know the music. We understand it, but it hasn't yet gripped our soul and turned us inside out. There's a barrier, the Bible talks about. There's a barrier. In verses 24 and 25 of this text, there's a barrier between God and us, and when it comes to forgiveness, only the blood of Christ creates the door through that barrier. Only through Jesus' death can God give us this gift. And so, the wonderful truth is 
The barrier is his justice. The death of Christ satisfied that justice. And therefore, God's relationship with us is now new. He is the just and the justifier of those who come to him through Christ. So we see, we've talked about the problem, we all long and seek for righteousness. We've talked about the solution. Christ has accomplished us for that for us. He submitted himself to what the old theologians call the covenant of works, where he obeyed everything the covenant demanded of him, all the law of God, rendered perfect obedience, and by his righteousness we are made righteous. You will never get there on your own. But the third point is, how do I make it mine? How do I get it? Because I, I have a sneaking suspicion. Not many of us get it. We just don't get it yet. We get all around it. <laughs> but the core of it, maybe we don't get yet. Hopefully you do. Hopefully I'd be surprised that many of you get it. I just know it took me a long time. Not all of you are like me. Some of you are quicker, smarter, more able to grasp it. I get that. But it has, it's a breakthrough. When it's, that breakthrough occurs, it's night and day. It's night and day. Couldn't be any more radically different. So how do we get it? Justification is infinitely more than just being pardoned, but separate and distinct from being morally good in yourself. Most church people don't understand free justification. What they do understand is this. If I confess my sins and I have a forgiving God, Jesus who died on the cross, and I get forgiveness, and now that I'm forgiven, I need to really live for him. I need to update my commitment for him. I need to really sell out and sell all and step up to the plate. Turn or burn, as they used to say. Get right or get left for rapture theology. I need to really live for him. I need to update my commitment. Kids go through this. Teenagers go through this. Young adults go through this. They have a problem. They start the cycle and then they cycle out. And it fades away. Things go wrong. I know I need to come back to God. I know I need to commit. I know I need to try harder. They don't get the gospel yet. A Christian is someone who is justified freely by faith through his blood and when you stop looking at your sins for a moment, by the way, that's what Pharisees do. Pharisees are self-justifying, moralistic, miserable people. But when we stop focusing on our sin, then here's what we will do. Here's what will make you a full understander of justification. Don't look at your sins. Look at your boasting. Because in the latter part of the text today, he talks about boasting. What are the things that you boast in? Things that are your justification. Look at the things that you look at and say, that justifies my existence. That validates me. That makes me worthy. See, Paul says, where is boasting? The justification by free justification destroys it. Well, then let's find it. What makes you a Christian is not so much you repent of your sins. You should repent of your sins. But that could just make you another Pharisee. Just another person that, like you, knows what makes you a Christian is you repent of your justification. Your false justification. Your false righteousness. 
Not only repenting of your sins, but repenting of your false righteousness. Have you ever repented of your righteousness? Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to the Lord, I see all of these things in my life that I tried to use to validate myself, my moral performance record, every other kind of record, I used all of those things in an absolute way to try to get your approval and smile. And I realize now their sin, their idolatry, their self-worship, their self-justification. I was in it for me, not looking out at you and trust in Christ. And so that's the point I'm getting at. The more driven you are, <laughs> the more you may need to repent of your false justification. And you need to learn to transfer your trust and reliance on what Christ has done, not on what your false righteousnesses are. If you really, really believed in your heart of hearts, you know with your head, would you really be anxious if you truly understood justification? And the answer is no. You would have confidence. You would have joy before his face. And so the glory of the gospel for us today is in the, that righteousness. And what I've tried to do and what I've, I've spent the whole week trying to do is get this down to where you can see exactly what happens. There is a transfer or an exchange of everything I am and everything I've done is sin outside of Christ. It's just sin. And so that sin is placed upon Christ and everything he's done is now credited to my account. It is as much mine as if I did it myself. And truly relying upon that and repenting of your... George Whitfield, who was a great evangelist, who used to preach before crowds all over this country, Whitfield said the last idol in the human heart to go is our righteousness. And that's what Paul had to repent of in Philippians chapter 3 where he lays out all of his credentials and finally recognizes that those credentials only damn him. They are doomed to him if he relies upon them for a relationship with Christ. And he learns now he has a righteousness through faith. And what is faith? Faith is the empty hand. Faith is the receptive organ of the soul. Faith is simply accepting our acceptance in Jesus Christ. Even though a crummy liberal theologian said that. Uh, most of you wouldn't know that. Some of you would. There's some theologians in the room. Uh, Tillich, Paul Tillich said that. But he was right about that. <laughs> he was right about accepting our acceptance. That's so hard to do for the pride and validation and boasting of the human heart. We want to be seen as self-validators. And to be a Christian means you look to Jesus and he gets glory. He is the one of substance. He is the weighty one who deserves all respect. Have you done this? Have you repented of your righteousness? Have you seen your drive for validation? Have you rested in Christ? Have you received his forgiveness? Do you understand that you are his delight if you are in Christ? He, he's not sitting in heaven with a club ready to pound you the, you know, the eighth time you do something you promised you'd never do again. Christ has dealt with that. 
And he's, that's why my life is Christ. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's where my righteousness is. Do you rest and rely upon that? God help you to rest and rely on that. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the good news. It is such, such good news. It's not like the good news we get from the world, which when we finally sign on the dotted line, it's a scam. There's a whole lot hidden underneath the language. We can't come up with language articulate enough, good enough, thorough enough to even describe what this justification is. But we thank you that in history you've used people like Martin Luther to uh, rediscover the reality of this gift and that you are constantly throughout the world having a witness with people who you show the righteousness you demand is the righteousness you give. We're validated in Christ. Now, fathers, we continue to worship. We pray you'll bless us as we Respond to the offering that we would give as those who give with joy and you would receive honor in Jesus' name. Amen.